Hey everybody, I'm Maggie. And I'm Amber. And this is Crime Country. Today we are in Kentucky. Ooh, Kentucky makes me think of Pentatucky, the girl from Orange is the New Black. Oh, that's funny. I only watched like the first two seasons of that, I think. Yeah, I got sucked in and watched it all. It was good. It's just too serious. Yeah, it was pretty pretty serious. And Spencer didn't want to watch it, so I always had to like find me time, and I was just would rather watch a comedy, like something. Yeah, like. it definitely got pretty scrappy and like hardcore sometimes, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Alrighty then, that escalated <laughs> real quick. There's a lot of stuff I want to watch. I'm like, oh, that looks so good, but then when it comes down to my like free time, I'm like. I get so little free time and I just want to watch something lighthearted and have it going on in the background while I play on my phone or, you know, whatever. Not pay attention. And multitask. <laughs> Anyways, every time I hear Kentucky, I think of KFC. Uh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Like, I literally googled KFC lawsuits to see if any of them <laughs> were good to tell today. Oh my gosh, that would have been really good. There was that a lot, really but none of them were actually in Kentucky. Oh. And they were kind of gross, so... I didn't do that because it grossed me out. Yeah, I bet they were all pretty gnarly. And I don't think anyone had that good of stories behind them. But I looked. I I thought about it. (laughs) That would have been hilarious. (laughs) Um, Okay, Kentucky is the U.S.'s 37th largest state and the 25th most populous with about 4.5 million people. Kentucky is noon as noon. Kentucky is known as the bluegrass state for the Kentucky bluegrass that is found in much of the state's pastures where they keep their thoroughbred racehorses. If you visit Kentucky, you could see the world's longest cave system at Mammoth Cave National Park. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Or you could go to the horse races at Churchill Downs. Who is that the Kentucky Derby? I think so. It's like the most famous horse racing venue. It's super, super old. You could also visit the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln. He was born in Kentucky. Hmm. Or if you want to just experience some beauties of nature, you can visit the Cumberland Falls in southeastern Kentucky. It's sometimes referred to as Little Niagara or Niagara of the South, and it's this beautiful big waterfall along the tree-lined Cumberland River. Cumberland River. Uh, it's really pretty. The pictures were like that was really pretty. Yeah, it's like this curve in the river, and then there's these waterfalls, and so it's like this wide waterfall. But on both sides of the river, it's just like rolling hills of trees and greenery, and this beautiful river with this big waterfall in the middle. Uh, yeah. yeah, that sounds amazing. It made me want to visit that part of Kentucky. <laughs> Um, some weird laws in Kentucky include a woman cannot remarry the same man more than three times. Oh, wow. Well, why would you be remarrying someone for a third time? Yeah. Like, like one, strike two, I don't think the third one's going to get any better. Seriously, like if you've divorced the same person twice, I say just call it. Yeah. Do you know how much money you could have saved? <laughs> By not divorcing someone three times? Is it weird? I like can see like remarrying someone once maybe. Like if you grew apart, but then you grew back together. Well, I can see maybe once, but three times. But three times. (laughs) Especially if maybe like you have kids, you could like remarrying once is reasonable. Yeah. Or if you got married like super young and then you just both had like 
a young dumb phase and grew apart but then you came back together eventually when you're like in your middle age and you fall in love again that's a cute story but if you divorce the person three times <laughs> no i i don't think it's meant to be <laughs> it's not working um <laughs> in london kentucky it's illegal to have sex on a parked motorcycle oh didn't say anything about a driving motorcycle <laughs> Well, alrighty then. <laughs> no sex on a parked motorcycle. Uh, it's illegal in Kentucky to force a person into your so into your store to make a sell. Oh. <laughs> like, get in here. Buy something. Get in my store. <laughs> um, every citizen of Kentucky must bathe at least once a year. Oh, just once a year. That's, at least once a year. That's not asking very much. Um, and in... Owensboro, Kentucky, a woman cannot buy a hat without her husband's permission. Huh. Yeah. So those are the weird laws I saw for Kentucky. There was also like, you can't fish with a bow and arrow and you can't hunt from a moving vehicle except for whale, which is funny. Yeah. <laughs> you can't hunt anything except whale from your car. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And landlocked state for anybody listening outside of the United States. <laughs> So that's some details about Kentucky. Now we're going to tell you some bad stories from Kentucky. I'm getting us started this week in Kentucky. So I'm going to tell you the story of Susan King. On November 5th, 1998, two fishermen found the body of a man. They reported this to the police and the body was quickly identified as Kyle Breeden. Kyle had been missing for 10 days and police had been looking for him when he was since he had been reported missing. Kyle was found with two bullets still lodged into his head and his feet tied together with a guitar amp cable. Oh my gosh. Yes, so it was definitely murder. Yeah. As soon as the body was found, police started looking into Susan King, who was Kyle Breeden's ex-girlfriend. So they were first suspicious of Susan because she and Kyle had had a known tumultuous relationship. Um, she had filed a protective order against him about a year before his murder. But even with the protective order, they'd kept in contact with each other. And in that year, they had broken up at some point, but they still kept in contact by phone regularly, including the day before he disappeared. So they had talked the day before he disappeared. They had had their issues, but they still kept coming back to each other. So that seemed fishy to the police. But yeah. they also were looking at Susan because right after he disappeared, she had mentioned to multiple people that she felt like his body was going to be found in water. What? Yeah, and so the police were like, so the, some of her neighbors and friends, because everybody was looking for Kyle, they were like, Kyle's missing, have you seen him, have you seen him? You know, there was like missing persons posts or whatever and all of his friends and family had been contacted to try and track him down so she knew he was missing a bunch of people knew he was missing and when she was talking to friends about it she was like ah, i just have this feeling he's going to be found in water like i just have this weird feeling he's going to be found in water and she told that to friends and neighbors so multiple people she told that and they were they were like that's weird we should probably mention that to the cops and yeah. they did super weird and like why does she just have this hinkering, like, oh, did he really like water or something? Yeah. Like, uh, it's weird for an adult man to just randomly go missing. So maybe he 
did go fishing alone a lot or something. I don't know. But she just had this weird feeling his body was going to be found in water. And then it was. And the police were like, mm, that's fucking weird. Yeah. A little red flag-ish. Yeah. But there was no hard evidence leading the police to anybody for his murder. And the case went cold. So, oh. yeah. Police, like, Susan was basically their only suspect. But they didn't have anything tying her to his murder. Um, besides, like, a couple kind of weird things. But um, it went cold. And about a year after his murder, one of the investigators who was working cold case files or whatever did try to get a search warrant of Susan's home. Um, but when he brought the affidavit to the judge or whoever issues the warrant, he didn't even have enough for the judge to feel comfortable issuing a search warrant. Like, that's how little evidence they had against her. Someone had told the police that there were bullet holes in Susan's kitchen floor. So they wanted, that's why they wanted to search her floor, her, her home to look at her floor and see if they could find bullets that matched the bullets that had been in his head. Um, but that wasn't enough for a judge to be like, yeah, search her home. It was like, okay, that's hearsay and doesn't really yeah. mean anything. There's no concrete evidence here. Like, you guys are reaching. No. Yeah, <laughs> if we had another aspect that did link her to it, then sure, maybe. But no, you can't have a search warrant. So it just went cold again. And seven years later, in 2006, a new detective was assigned to the case. The department had been granted or had been trying to get a grant for money specifically for cold cases. So they had this new cold case department or this new cold case detective who was super eager to solve cold cases. Like he wanted to prove that money was going to be well spent. He was dedicated to solving cold cases. So this detective is Todd Harwood. And as Detective Harwood started looking into this case, he again looked and saw Susan's name on everything. And he was like, she did this. She's the murderer. (laughs) Um, he knew just for a fact that she's the one who shot Kyle in the head in her kitchen, tied up his feet, dragged his 200 pound body to her car, drove to the river and threw his body over the bridge into the river. He again made an affidavit requesting a search warrant for her house. But in his affidavit, he kind of forgot to mention that the bullets never even exited the body. So... Any bullets found in Susan's home could not be related to the murder or the fact that like Susan didn't have a car or the fact that Susan was only 97 pounds. Oh, geez. Or the fact that Susan only had one leg. What? Yeah. So Susan had been in a horrible car accident years before this whole incident and she only had one leg from the hip gone. Like it just... One full leg, hip, nothing on the other side. So she didn't even have a prosthetic leg. She literally just hopped around on one leg with crutches or was in a wheelchair at the time of the murder. And she drugged this 200-pound man to the car. and That she didn't own because she didn't even own a car at the time. So, yeah, she somehow shot this guy in the head, tied him up, dragged his body out of her house, down her gravel driveway, into her car that didn't exist, drove him like 40 miles to this bridge, pulled him out of the car, lifted him over the railing, and threw him into the water on one leg. 
Well, maybe she got a rental car. <laughs> maybe she had a really sweet wheelchair <laughs> that like was motorized and she just tied him up and tied him to her wheelchair and drug him like that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that seems likely. Except she totally didn't do, have a motorized wheelchair. But, um, you know, he forgot to mention any of those things in his affidavit. So he submits this affidavit to get a search warrant. And the court thinks, yeah, like that seems fishy. This woman had a protective order against this man. She has gunshot holes in her kitchen. She was known saying that his body was going to be found in water. Yeah. She obviously, like she could have done this, but uh, I don't know. Neither of the bullets ever exited his body. So they wouldn't be found in her kitchen. And that wasn't included in the affidavit. So yeah. Whoops. My mistake. Anyways, he got his search warrant, so that's good. So, Detective Harwood and some other officers went to Susan King's home and told her they had a warrant. Detective Harwood told Susan that she needed to go for a ride with him while the other detectives searched her home. And she says he told her, if you don't get in my car, I will take away your crutches handcuff you, and drag you across that gravel gravel driveway and put you in my car. Yikes, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure you're allowed to stay in most cases when there's a search warrant on your house. I don't think that you have to leave. Yeah, but he told her if she didn't, he was basically going to arrest her and drag her to his car to make her leave. So she got in his car and left while they searched her home. Yikes. So please search her home. And she lives in, like, rural-ish Kentucky. Um, so, like, she did have guns and stuff. And at some point in time, a gun had gone off in her kitchen. So they did find a bullet in her kitchen floor. But when they tested that bullet, it didn't match the two bullets that were found in Kyle's head at all. Like, it was not from the same gun. It wasn't even the same type of bullet. It, they both were twenty twos, but the bullets were completely different. Yeah. But Detective Harwood was just still convinced Susan had done it. There was no other suspects. It had to have been her. So he got a second search warrant. Oh. Where, again, he just completely omitted some vital information. (laughs) Of course, Uh, like you. Yeah. So that one was approved as well, and they were able to search her yard. She had this tree in her backyard that had been used for years and years as target practice. So people would go outside with their guns and just shoot into this tree stump or this tree, whatever. And so there was over 150 different bullets found in the wood of this tree. Oh, wow. Yeah. So obviously it was used for target practice all the time. And so obviously she lived in the middle of nowhere because you don't have close neighbors if you're going in your backyard and shooting into a tree. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, oh, sorry, I said 150. It was 130 bullets in the tree. Um, Every single one of the bullets that they found in the tree was tested and not a single one of them matched the bullets that killed Kyle. None of them. None of the 130 bullets matched. But that didn't deter Detective Hardwood. Harwood. Hardwood. Hardwood. (laughs) Gross. That did not deter Detective Harwood. Uh, He went to a grand jury and he asked them to indict Susan King on murder charges. With no evidence? No, he he didn't tell them there was no evidence. So the grand jury trial is where 
like the police or prosecutors or whoever will go in front of a seated jury and basically present what evidence they do have to kind of get the okay to actually arrest a person. So she isn't being convicted of anything. It's basically just saying like, oh yeah, you totally have enough evidence to go to trial for this. Okay. So he goes to the grand jury and he tells them Susan King murdered Kyle in her kitchen. She then scrubbed the floor clean, which meant she tampered with evidence. Oh, of course she did. Which in all reality, all testing failed to uncover any cleaning solvents on her kitchen floor. And he most likely knew that at this point in time, but he said it anyways. He also told the grand jury that the crime lab wasn't able to make a comparison between any of the bullets found with the ones that killed Kyle, which was a straight up lie. They were able to make a comparison and they were able to confirm they definitely were not matched, period. Yeah. So he straight up lied to this grand jury. Uh, He also failed to mention to them again that she only had one leg and physically would have had a very, very, very hard time committing this crime. Yeah. Didn't bring that up to the grand jury at all. So the grand jury grants the indictment and Susan King is arrested for murder. What? Yeah. So the prosecutors built their case against her on the facts that she owned a 22 caliber gun. She said she thought the body would be found in water and there were bullet holes in her kitchen floor. Oh, okay. Yeah. That seems like enough. Yeah, totally. Despite (laughs) the fact that, like, she had been helpful to the police the whole time. She answered all their questions. She didn't have a motive, like, at all. They weren't even dating at the time. Like, it's super weird. So they definitely, like, had it out for her. Yeah. Like, this detective just wanted to solve this case. And he was like, hmm, she did it. This is an easy one. Yeah, I'm going to make this fit. Yeah, it's fine. Cool. Glad that's our justice system. Yeah, no big deal. But I'm going to solve this cold case and I'm going to be awesome. This poor woman who's just trying to live her life with one leg. Like, she's already got enough problems. But seriously, now going through a fucking murder trial? Yeah, with no hard evidence. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh she had to get a state-appointed attorney to defend her because she couldn't afford her own. And she says that that attorney straight up told her they didn't believe her and that they thought she was guilty. What? Yeah. So the state attorney wasn't even trying to get her off. And uh, Detective Harwood kept kind of bullying Susan whenever he got the chance. And he told her that if they went to trial, he would push for a life sentence, if not the death penalty. Like he was like, you're going to burn if we go to trial, you're going to spend at least the rest of your life in, in prison or on death row. Oh my gosh. So between that and her own attorney telling her they didn't believe her, when they offered her a deal, she took it. Gosh, that sucks. Because what can you do if you can't afford one and you get a state-appointed one? Can, you can't just be like, you're fired, can yeah, you? Yeah, no. And like, you trust the system up until this point, you know? Yeah. So it's like literally like, okay, well, I... I guess. So a year after she's arrested, it was about like 14 months after she was arrested. She'd been spending that time in like the county jail. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So bad. While they worked on her case or whatever. Did she have like a bond or was that just not an option? I don't think so. 
I'm pretty sure she was just in jail the whole time or she couldn't afford it. But yeah. um gosh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so she spent like 14 months, I think, 13 or 14 months in county jail while they worked on her case. And finally, the state offered her a plea. They offered her an Alfred plea. So an Alfred plea is where you stand by your innocence. You say, I do not plead guilty, but I agree that the state may have enough evidence to find me guilty. So you're never saying you did it with an Alfred plea, but you are pleading and saying that they could convict you. So they offer her this Alfred plea for second degree murder and evidence tampering, and she's sentenced to 10 years in prison. Uh, I mean, I guess that's the lesser of two evils, but well, that's still ridiculous. It kind of is, especially if you have a defense attorney that doesn't believe you're innocent. Yeah. Um, but if you go to trial and the jury sees this tiny woman with one leg. Yeah, I mean. It'd be pretty hard to convict her of murder. So, But you have your defense attorney telling you they don't believe you. They think you're guilty. And then this detective being like, you're going to get life in prison if you go to trial. Like, I'm going to make sure of it. And now you don't trust the system at all. So, yeah, you take the plea just so you get out eventually. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) Yeah. So after spending like 14 months in jail, she's transferred to prison and begins her 10-year sentence. Uh, And by this time... When she takes the plea. Sorry, what? Did she get credit for her 14 months time served? Maybe. I'm not sure. (laughs) Hopefully. Uh, That's shitty. Probably. But by this point in time, it's 2009 already. So the murder happened in 1998. She got arrested in 2007, I think. And then it's 2009 when she takes the plea and gets transferred to prison. Oh, wow. So a lot of time went by before she even got arrested. Yeah, because it was a cold case and they had no freaking proof. And so when they even tried to get the search warrant, when this was fresh, there wasn't enough evidence for them to get a search search warrant. And there was no new evidence seven years later when they applied for the same search warrant. They just left out some vital details and then they got it. So by this point in time, when she's sent to prison, it's 2009, I believe. On a side note... Detective Harwood received a police commendation for outstanding work in solving this murder in oh. 2009. He also received a promotion to lieutenant for all his great work in solving this cold case. Well, you did such a good job. Yeah. Um, so we're fast forwarding a couple years to May of 2012 and police officer Baron Morgan is a new police officer we haven't heard of yet. Police officer Baron Morgan was interrogating a serial murderer named Richard Jarrell. Uh, They'd arrested him for some of the uh, murders he'd committed. They knew he'd done it for sure. He was caught and confirmed and going to prison. But while Officer Morgan is interrogating him, Jarrell confessed that he was the one who killed Kyle Breeden. What? Yeah. So... He told the police officer that Kyle had stolen him some money from him or some cocaine. I, I'm not sure which it was, but he said that Kyle had stolen either money or cocaine from him. And if it was money, he bought cocaine. And so he was super angry and he went to Kyle's house. And when he got to Kyle's house, Kyle was high on cocaine, um, which was confirmed in the autopsy. So when they found the body, they did an autopsy and they confirmed there was cocaine in his system. 
And so Jarrell got to his house, saw he was high, got super pissed off. And it happened to be Jarrell's birthday that day. So he was like, hey, man, it's my birthday. We're going to my dad's house to celebrate. Come on. And so Kyle gets in his car and that's when he shot him twice in the head, drove him to the river, threw him in. And then he also told the police where he dumped the gun and some other evidence. And they went to that place and found the evidence. So not only does he have all the details of the murder, like very specifically about the cocaine in his system, the two shots to the head, where his body was dumped, where the evidence was dumped. Like he- All the details. Yeah. And he gave them extra information. So they were able to find more details proving that he did it. Yeah. So Officer Morgan gets this confession and he looks into it and he sees that Susan King has been prosecuted for this. She wasn't found guilty, but she pled um, her Alfred plea. And he's like, oh shit, we have the wrong person. So he takes down his report. He contacts Detective Harwood and is like, hey, you need to interview this guy. You got the wrong person. And Detective Harwood's like, mm, I'm pretty sure I got the right person. Yeah. Slow your roll, homie. So Detective Harwood goes to the prison to interview this known serial murderer. (laughs) And um, the taping of the interview where he talked to this guy one-on-one went missing somehow. Oops. But after that meeting, Jarrell refused to cooperate with police about this anymore. What? Yeah. So it's believed he went there and told him to recant his confession, but unconfirmed whether or not that actually happened. Definitely a little fishy. Yeah. And then the interview tape just disappeared, darn it, like magic. But it didn't matter because Officer Morgan, who is a fucking rock star that got the original confession from this guy, he took that initial confession and he sent a copy of it to the Kentucky Innocence Project. Okay. And he says he had the approval of his like supervisor to do so. So he he was like, this lady shouldn't be in prison. Let's get her out of there. At this point, she'd been in prison for three years. Um, so he sends the information to the Innocence Project. So the attorneys at the Innocent Project meet with Susan at the prison, and they're the ones who tell her the good news. So no one had mentioned to her, like, hey, someone else confessed to the murder that you're doing time for, until these attorneys reach out to her and are like, hey, someone else confessed to the murder that you've been convicted of. Um, And she just, like, put her head down on the desk and cried, you know? Like, it was just like... No kidding. Like, what else do you do? Like, oh, my God, finally. Like, I can't even imagine the relief that she had at that point. Right? And you're like, okay, where do? how do I get out? Where are we going? So, so am I free to go? Like, can I, can I leave now? No? Free okay. not. Mm, yeah. So they tell her like, Hey, we're requesting a new trial for you based on the fact that there's a confession of a known serial killer who had all of the details about the murder hang tight. We just have to get the new trial approved. And then once they consider that trial, everything will be dropped because there's no fucking evidence against you. Yeah. So she's like, okay, cool. Guess I'll stay in prison with my one leg until then. Um, so they submit the motion to the a trial judge in Kentucky, and that judge barely looked at it and just denied it. What? He said she pled guilty and she doesn't deserve a new trial. 
Bye. Get oh out of here. God. Done with you. See ya. Bye-bye. Um, and she didn't plead guilty. Yeah, exactly. She, she didn't. never pled guilty. She took an Alfred plea, which means she maintained her innocence. Yeah. So the Innocence Project attorneys were like, well, that's fucking bullshit. We're going to keep working on this. She doesn't, a wrongfully convicted person is in prison. So right. um, they, they're continuing to work to get her released from prison. But the process of overturning a wrongful conviction is fucking slow and basically impossible. Yeah. So finally in July of 2014, the Court of Appeals reversed the original ruling of her plea and um a few months after that the charges against her were completely dropped and she was free they were not going to consider pressing any more charges she served six and a half years in prison plus the 14 months she spent in state jail someone confessed to the crime two years before she got released that's ridiculous yeah so four years after she was in prison well five years after she was in prison basically um Someone confessed, and she spent another two years there waiting to be released. That's crazy. I mean, I get that it needs to be a stringent process to make sure that it's not just someone willy-nilly, like, taking the fall. But this guy had evidence. Yeah, but there should be a line. Like, it should be a stringent process just to make sure. But, like, innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. Right. That's... Insane. It should definitely move quicker than two years. And if you have money, it does. Like, if we have money, you get out mm-hmm. and you wait for the trial to happen. Yeah. If she had money, she probably would have been released in 2012 and then be held on bond until the next trial in two years or whatever, and then freed mm-hmm. or whatever. But still, it's just insane. So yeah. she spent... Like, seven and a half years of her life in jail for a murder that she definitely did not commit. That she almost, it would almost be impossible for her to have committed, like, in all reality. Exactly. She did file a wrongful conviction lawsuit against the police department. And in August of 2020. Ooh, just recently. Yeah, they agreed to settle if she dropped the charges, and they paid her $750,000. Well, that's nice, but I don't think that's worth losing seven and a half years of your life. No, thank you. And it was seven and a half years in prison, and then six more years trying to get a payment for it. Like, seriously, because it was 2014 she got out of jail, and she didn't get a settlement until 2020, when they obviously were wrong. And there's proof the detective lied to the grand jury. Like, he straight up lied to the grand jury to get the indictment. And then bullied her into taking a plea because yeah. she was scared. So what do, you, what do you do? What can you do? You just do what they suggest. And you're like, all right, I guess. Like, okay, I guess 10 years is better than life. Yeah. My attorney doesn't even believe me. Yeah. So... Uh, she got $750,000 in damages. I bet a lot of that is attorney fees, unless the Innocence Project is still helping her, but I think they helped her get freed, and then she probably had to get her own attorneys. So I bet a bunch of that money is going to attorney fees. Yeah, which is crazy, because she'll probably get next to nothing by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, seriously. And And she only has one leg. She's limited on what she can do for work. Right. And not to mention, she probably lost her house. 
she had everything. Yeah. Well, she had two dogs that she had to like bake friends to take care of when she first went to prison. And then her one like baby puppy that she was like her dog. Um, no one, they couldn't find a home for it for a while. And this poor puppy just like laid on her front porch for three months. Oh my God. After she got arrested, waiting for her to come home before one of her friends finally went and got it. And That's then, the saddest thing I've ever heard. And then they took care of it for a little while and then they had to have it put down because they couldn't anymore. Uh, what? Yeah. So she lost her pets. She also had like a goat and a horse and they all were like rehomed, but she lost. All of her pets, she lost her home. She lost her life because a guy she used to date got murdered by a drug addict friend. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And so another thing that's going to really piss you off because it's fucking bullshit. Uh, So Officer Morgan, our hero cop Uh that sent the information to the Innocence Project. After he did that, it pissed off the higher ups. Or his chief or whatever. Oh, because he's making the county look bad or whatever? Yeah, they're going to have to admit they got something wrong. Yeah. So they demoted him. Oh, motherfuckers. Yeah, so they put him on graveyard shift as a patrol officer and, like, fucked him over professionally, which he also was able to sue the police department for that and prove that they did it because he and he even like had talked to his immediate supervisor about it and they told him to do it too and i think they also faced demotion well yeah that's immediate retaliation like come on yeah it's illegal he sued and he won and he got a four hundred fifty thousand dollar settlement for his lawsuit as well good yeah because that's just like uh Someone in Kentucky tried to be a good cop and you guys literally demoted him for it. Are you fucking kidding me? And that happens probably way more than we even know. That's why bad cops stay bad cops because the good cops are too afraid to speak up. Yeah. I think there are a lot of good cops, but I think like they know there's going to be retaliation if they speak up. Which is sad because like, yikes. Yeah, we need them to. There's a problem with police brutality in our country. For sure, especially against a certain subset of our people. Uh, Breonna Taylor, <coughs> also Kentucky. <coughs> uh, saying, but it's just so frustrating that he got demoted for doing the right thing in this case. Um, yeah. But he won his lawsuit, so at least there's that. Detective Harwood. Oh, yeah. What happened to this douche canoe? Or Lieutenant Harwood, I guess I should say, because he got promoted to lieutenant. He retired in 2017. At the time, he was facing charges, unspecified charges, for conduct unbecoming of a police officer. But I don't know what those charges were for or if they were related to this case or something else. And I think because he retired, they were just dropped. Oh, too late. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he received a commendation for his great work on this case. Oh. Never received any punishment for this case and then retired a lieutenant in 2017 when he was about to get in trouble for something. So super happy, fun times, awesomeness, totally got what he had come in. That could be revoked. Yeah, so when she filed her lawsuit, it was against him and the police force. Um. So some publication reached out to him for a statement about the whole thing and he recently responded in email and he said that he thinks that she's still guilty 
she's definitely the person that committed the murders. And the only reason she won her wrongful conviction lawsuit was because some of the witnesses have died and some of the evidence has been disposed of. And in the current anti-police climate climate in our country, he wouldn't be able to get a fair trial anywhere. And the only reason she was found guilty or the only reason she pled guilty is because she was guilty. That's what he said about the whole situation. She never fucking pled guilty. I was going to say, again, she didn't plead guilty. Yeah, she was bullied into accepting a plea where she still maintained her innocence. Uh. Um, So yeah, he was a terrible cop. cop. He blatantly lied to get an indictment of this poor handicapped woman and then intimidated her into thinking that she'd be sentenced to death. So she agreed to this plea deal. And I bet he has a tiny penis. <laughs> I have that in my notes. Like it's the last line of my story, and I bet he has a tiny. So that's probably true. Um, allegedly, I don't know. <laughs> allegedly, she's free now. She didn't serve ten years. She served seven and a half years. More than enough. Like yeah, no, and I think she, I think she basically got released when she had her first parole hearing. Like I'm pretty sure that's what it came down to. In all reality. Like, they were like, oh, all right, well, you're up for parole anyway. Yeah, you're up for parole, and we know you didn't actually do it. So, yeah, you get released now. Yay. Yeah, cool. We're done here. All (laughs) right. Yeah. So, that's the story of Susan King and the murder of Kyle Breeden. Man, that's... Shitty. Yeah. Isn't it infuriating that that can happen to innocent people? Yeah, that's terrifying. Like... It could happen to anybody. Well, and it's better than the Breonna Taylor story, getting shot in your bed by police because you're black. That also happened in Kentucky and is just too infuriating to even tell. So I didn't, but I felt like we had to mention it because it's an injustice and it's not okay that that can happen in our country. Yeah, no, there's definitely some loopholes that are not not great yeah and the good cops don't fight for justice because they're afraid of retaliation yeah in outing the bad cops and that's like a severe detriment to our society like it's fucking terrible it's awful (sighs) yeah so that's my soapbox and i'm gonna step off it now (laughs) (laughs) your turn what are you talking about oh i'm talking about a guy that is he is a real piece of work. He's quote unquote the angel of death. Ooh. Yeah. So this guy I'm going to talk about is Donald Harvey. Hmm. And he reminds me of other like killers that have done similar things and gotten away with it. Yeah. So Donald Harvey, he was born in actually Cincinnati, Ohio, in April, or on April 15th, 1952. So, um, but shortly after birth, the family moved out to Boonville, Kentucky. So that's why part of, part of his crimes are going to happen in Kentucky, and part of them will happen in Cincinnati, Ohio, or Ohio. Um, But a good chunk of them are in Kentucky. So that's why I picked him. Cool. I almost did a case that was also in Kentucky and Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah, um, but it was really, really sad. Mm. It was about slavery. Oh. 
Yeah. It would have been good though. Yeah. Maybe I'll give a. You want me to give you a quick summary? Okay. Cliff notes. Okay. So it was this lady <laughs> whose name was. <laughs> so it was a slave woman uh, who was born a slave in Kentucky and her she was born to this family they owned her parents she was probably the daughter of the quote unquote master of the house or whatever her fucking douchebag owner and so um cuz she was really light skinned black lady yeah and so she grew up a slave and then she got like transferred to the owner's brother-in-law and he also was shitty and so he started raping her and um so she had a couple kids and her first kid was probably her slave husbands but then the next four were probably her owner's children because they were all very very light-skinned babies so she's being you know a slave and beaten and treated terribly and raped constantly and all of her babies were born a few months after his wife's babies were born because Um, back in the day once a lady got so pregnant her husband wouldn't have sex with her for safety reasons or some shit and so then he would just like rape the slave you know like you do uh and so then she would have babies a couple months after his wife had babies uh and so And all of the births of their baby or the pregnancies aligned with when her husband was sent out of town to do work, too. So cool. Awesome. She had like five kids. One of them was definitely her husband's. The other four probably weren't. And uh, her and her husband and children and some slaves from a nearby farm all made an escape together. And so they escaped to Ohio, where one of their family members had left to and gotten freedom because it was a free state. And so they went there and they were trying to earn their own freedom or whatever. But while they were there, they got surrounded in the house they were at. And like the owners were trying to get in and come get them. And they knew they were going to be beaten. And her two-year-old daughter was extremely light-skinned. So she knew that her daughters were going to grow up being treated worse than regular slaves. Because their light skin implied that white men were having sex with slaves. And so white people hated them extra. Black people didn't like them very much either. And they were going to be raped even more. So she didn't want to submit her children to the same fate she had had. So Mm -hmm. while they're trapped in this house in Ohio, she killed her two-year-old daughter and tried to kill her other two kids too. So they didn't have to go back into a life of slavery. Oh my gosh. So then they get taken. She killed her one daughter and... Um, she gets arrested for murder because she killed her daughter, but then they're fighting over whether she should be tried for murder because murder means she's a human being and that's a federal law and it would be tried in Ohio where it happened, where she's actually considered a human being. And if she got arrested, the governor would eventually pardon her. But if she gets tried for this weird slave law, she would be sent back to the slave state and be, remain a slave. Uh-huh. So they were fighting to get her sent to Ohio to be freed, basically, eventually. Um, but the other side won. So she was still a slave. But at one point in time, they were transferring her somewhere on a boat and the boat sunk and her other daughter drowned. And she said she was happy about it because her daughter didn't have to live a life like she did. And... Uh-huh. 
terrible. Eventually, she lived the rest of her life in slavery, and then she died of, like, typhoid fever. Oh. Yep, cliff notes of the other story I didn't tell that was fucking terrible. Yeah, that is pretty awful. So Kentucky was um, neutral during the Civil War, but still, like, a majority of the male residents fought in the war for one side or the other, so it was very, very divided. But it seems like it was more of a southern state from everything I read on the wrong side of history, that is. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So, sorry. That really brings it down a bit, huh? Well, mine's just going to keep on bringing it down. I have an upper Stay so, tuned. <laughs> all right. At least we got that. So, it's going to get pretty grim pretty quickly. Hi. Got us there. Keeping us there. Cool. <laughs> all right. So... Donald Harvey, like I said, he was born in Ohio. Then shortly after birth, they moved to Boonville, Kentucky. So his family lived in like the mountains of Kentucky um, and they were not well off. They were like, they were poor. And allegedly Donald was abused by an uncle and a neighbor as young as the age of four. But I say allegedly because I couldn't find any proof of that, and... Yeah, who knows? If he goes on to be a murderer, it's probably true. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, but... I think a lot of murderers have that in their... Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. So, allegedly, there was just no proof, no substantial evidence to to prove it. But, again, he's a four-year-old kid. What are... Yeah. So, um... He went on to to go to school, obviously, like you do, and he was a good student. Um, He was definitely a teacher's pet, so he was really good in school. The teachers all had nothing but good things to say about him because he would excel in school, so he preferred to stay in school and do, like, schoolwork instead of kind of go outside and play on the playground or socialize with the kids, so he was a real like introvert I guess you could say um but I'm trying to think what show I was watching recently where they were it's like a goody two-shoes character on the show that's like I only got suspended or in trouble one time in school and that was in recess or for I only failed one class ever now it was recess (laughs) teachers need breaks too oh (laughs) jeez I feel like that could be something on like Big Bang Theory. I don't, watch I don't that, know. So I don't know. I don't know either. If you know, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> but so he was kind of more of an introvert. He just stuck to school. Um, didn't really socialize. Didn't have a bunch of friends. Um, so eventually, after ninth grade, he got bored and dropped out. But he did end up getting his GED. So. I mean, he continued his education, but he didn't do it the traditional way through high school. He got bored um, and decided that wasn't his jam. So he dropped out and got his GED. So um, now he's done with school. So I don't know exactly how old he was because since he didn't finish high school and he just got his GED, he could be younger than a normal like high school graduate. So yeah, he's probably around I, the same yeah. age. I think he's still probably around like 17, 18 at this point for sure. Um, so he's done with school. He's unemployed. He's probably. Yes. He was born in 50 something. 
He was born in 52, so 62, yeah. like late 60s. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he was done with school and unemployed. And at this time, he had an ill grandfather that was in the hospital um, in Kentucky. And I think it was actually in um, London, Kentucky, I oh. think. So when you were talking about it in the beginning, I was like, ooh, that was part of my story. That's why um, women can't buy hats without their husband's permission or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, his grandfather was in a hospital. So since he was unemployed and he didn't have anything else going on, he decided that he was going to go kind of spend the, the majority of time in the hospital visiting his grandfather. And so he went to the hospital and that experience going there and spending time with his grandfather was about to change the rest of his life not for the better is he a serial killer he is a serial killer i feel like there's a lot of serial killers that are like they were either molested as a child or had like a really overbearing mother and then they had one family member they really bonded to who died in their like teens and then they just became a serial killer from those experiences I feel like that's so common. Well, um, I mean, it definitely happens in this. All right. So we're at Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky. Okay. So Harvey was at the hospital so much um, visiting his grandfather that the hospital ended up employing him as an orderly. So he didn't have a degree. He didn't have any experience. So he was basically hired on as an orderly. So basically he just was responsible for all the non-medical care for patients, maintenance of like cleanliness and yeah, kind of cleaning bedpans, giving them sponge baths, yeah, cleaning bedpans, delivering medication, whatever, um, those types of things. So he provided medications, refilled oxygen tanks and other tasks. And he also eventually ended up helping like insert catheters to patients, which I feel like you have to be pretty advanced and you do need some training for that. Yeah. I had to have that done when I had a kidney stone because I didn't have enough pee in me because I couldn't keep anything down. And so then they had to like insert a catheter to test my pee to make sure I wasn't pregnant or some shit, but fucking hurt. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have any experience with that. At knock on wood. Thank <laughs> I also got catheters when I hate, but that was after the epidural. Oh, yikes. So, so you have you to have a catheter when you have a baby? When you have an epidural. If you don't have an epidural, no. But when you have an epidural, you can't feel if you pee. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's why ladies shit their pants because they can't feel. Yeah. But you also probably couldn't feel your catheter either, right? Uh, No. I'm pretty sure they placed it after the epidural and it was just like, okay. <laughs> Go <All right>. ahead. <laughs> Get on in there. All right. Well, um, so like I said, after he got this position at this hospital, things escalated real quick after. Um, So I don't have the date that he started working, but May 30th of 1970. So only very soon later. Yeah. Yeah. Only a couple weeks into his employment. One of the patients at this hospital would die by his hand. Like he's only 18. He was yeah. born in 52. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so his first victim, he was a stroke victim. And um, Donald Harvey was kind of going in and checking on him. And so he went into his room one night. And somehow, I don't know how it happened or 
what, but this stroke victim had feces on his hands. And so he like managed to rub the shit in Donald's face. And so that really pissed him off. And so it pissed him off so much that he smothered him with a pillow and killed him. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, such a freaking toddler. Yeah. (laughs) So after he just loses his shit and smothers him and kills him with a pillow, he takes his time. Like he acts like this is nothing. He showers up, cleans up, and then he goes and tells the nurses about it eventually. Yeah. So can't walk around with shit on your face. Right. So you just killed a bird. Come on. He takes time to to shower up, clean himself up, clean up the evidence or whatever evidence there may have been. And then he finally notifies the nurses. And then three weeks later, he decides that he's going to disconnect an oxygen tank for an elderly woman. So he notifies the nurses that this person died. Yeah, but and so he notifies them that this person died, and then, like, there's no... They're just like, oh, he had a stroke. That's too bad. He yeah. probably had another stroke. Yeah, so basically they're just like, oh, all right, well, I guess this guy died. Um, they don't look into it. There's no red flags raised, no suspicion. So he just goes on about his day and continues his life. And kills someone else three weeks later. Cool. Yeah, three cool. weeks later, he decides... He's going to disconnect an oxygen tank from an elderly woman. Um, and then she eventually dies too, obviously, because she Needs relied oxygen. on oxygen <laughs> and uh, she couldn't breathe. And that'll kill you. So <laughs> three weeks goes by. He strikes again. Again, because there's like no red flags. Like they're just like, oh, well, this woman just died. Like, she just died peacefully, I guess. So he probably plugged it back in after she died? I don't know. Or a lot of the times he would change them out with low tanks. Oh. And so I, what I'm thinking is like maybe back then they didn't have all the high tech machinery to like notify you and like all the red buzzers like low, low, low. So maybe it was like easier to like miss. Oh, I missed it. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ugh, that's awful. Yeah. So victim number two already. And he's a kid. Yeah. He's a kid. So no one ever suspected anything. Is for this grandpa still alive? Um, I don't know at this point. Like it just, there was just the beginning and then it was like, he went there and, and then. They liked him. So they hired him. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. But then I, I never. I wonder if his grandpa died and it triggered him. Maybe. It could have. Um, cause I guess he was just fascinated. And also like it comes to the, I mean, obviously after when it's all said and done now we're like, well, he must've been in this place and like him kind of being in power, like over people, like they need him to, to provide for him so he can let he's, they're all on his schedule. Yeah. That's like the angel of mercy mindset thing like your life is in my hands yeah exactly like like a god complex yeah no there's actually a quote that i need to find because he literally says something about being god or something shit like that's so weird um but i don't know if i put it in my notes or if i just like was like remember that when I (laughs) i do that too um So no one ever suspected anything for these first two murders, most likely because the patients were elderly, they were ill, 
and all the nurses and doctors were like overworked. Mm -hmm. So they didn't think anything of it. They didn't bat an eye, you know, like that's, that's the day to day for them. People die, people come, people go. I don't know. That's pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, it's terrible. And And I wonder if that's going to happen in COVID times. Oh my gosh. Because the hospitals are getting so overwhelmed right now. So there was a sociopath that wanted to murder people. It would like be their opportunity. Yeah, hopefully not. But it's like scary because this shit probably still happens today. Like there's more than enough people that just like purposely kill people in that field because they can. Yeah. Or like they think they're doing them a favor or they have a hero complex. Like it's weird. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. So I'm like, eh. I don't want to go to the hospital for anything, but, uh, yeah. So, um, so it all just went unnoticed. And so now that he's getting away with murder, he, he's getting a little more brazen and he's like, all right. So he expands his methods and he kind of pushes his boundaries a little more because he's getting away with it. And there's like no suspicion at all. Like not even, no one's batting an eye at him nothing he's just going on about his day like how i don't i don't know man yeah it's scary how many stories there are of healthcare workers being murderers yeah and he's so young especially like i guess it helps that he didn't like people because he doesn't want to like go talk to someone about it you know uh, like i do something and i just like <laughs> tell someone guess what i did today. and yeah. i'm like ah. <laughs> Word vomit. <laughs> yep. Once we get to home, and I'm like, look at videos I took of our children. And at one point today, I walked upstairs and then my hip popped. And then I went back downstairs because I had to. And my hip still kind of hurts. That was the excitement of my day. I live an exciting life. Yes. <laughs> uh, sounds very exciting. <laughs> I might cut that. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Uh, that was funny though Uh, so um for his methods he used various items he used plastic bags morphine a variety of drugs um in one instance he was particularly brutal to one of his victims um and this one like makes me cringe because apparently I guess he got into an argument with this patient about something or like the patient was disgruntled about something. And in the heat of this argument, I guess the guy knocked him over the head with his bedpan or something. And like, I, I, it said it pretty much like knocked him out. So basically once he recovered from the blow, he waited until the night shift. And then he goes back into this patient's room and, um, he takes a coat hanger and shoves it in his catheter. Oh my God. A metal coat hanger and shoves it in the catheter, shoves it through the catheter. So um, it punctures, it makes a puncture, obviously. And so that just kind of goes uncleaned and undealt with. So, so it, gets, like, it gets sepsis? Infected. Hmm? So he got like sepsis? Yeah, he got some sort of infection and then he dies like days, a, cu- a few days later. Oh my God. Yeah. Disgusting. Right? So, yeah, he's just getting real brutal and ballsy and 
Yeah. So can I tell you, Spencer was really relieved I didn't do a murder last week. Oh, really? (laughs) Sorry, babe. This week's rough. Yeah, this week, uh, we got plenty of murder for you. Wait for the end. I have a funny story. Yeah. (laughs) Keep listening. (laughs) It gets gets better, I promise. I mean, maybe not Not, my story. Not in this story, but later on, for sure. The next story. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. Um, So now in March of 1971, um, Harvey, I guess, no, he was still pretty young at this point. He was only 18, 19 still. Um, He was getting himself into trouble and he was drunk and got arrested for burglary. So underage drinking and burglary. Um, Well, some states in the 70s, I think the drinking age was lowered to 18. So he may not have been underage drinking. Possibly. I, I didn't even states. Yeah. For some parts of the U.S. in, I think, the 70s, 60s, 70s, um, the drinking age was lowered temporarily. Well, it could have been then, then, but... Uh, <laughs> Still, he's getting in trouble. Yeah, so he's getting in trouble, in trouble. He's drunk and arrested for burglary. And then while he's questioned for the burglary... Um, Apparently, in his, like, drunken mumbo-jumbo, he tells the cops all about these murders he'd committed. But but because he was drunk and babbling, the officers, like, were like, all right, dude, you're kind of dumb. But they actually, like, tried to look into it, uh, I guess, according to my notes and, like, the article. Um, they they said to try and cover their asses. No, we we definitely looked into it. It didn't seem suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because they were unable to find like substantial evidence to to back up his claims. So they were like, all right, this drunk kid is just like on some drugs or something, telling us some weirdo shit. And like, all right, you're going to go to the drunk tank. Um, You're going to get a slap on the wrist. So for that burglary, he did eventually plead guilty to a reduced charge of petty theft. So, like, he gets not yeah, much. That's fine. Um, but he's still young, and he decides at this point, he's like, all right, I need a little change of scenery. So he decides he's going to enlist in the Air Force. As a medic? So I, it didn't specify. Yeah, I mean, this is really short-lived. He doesn't last long in the oh. Air Force. Um, so like he maybe enlisted. he legit was trying to go straight. Like, okay, I'm gonna enlist. That'll straighten me out. I'll get away from the temptation of the hospital of killing people. Yeah, maybe he was. Maybe that was his mindset. Like, maybe. I need a break. I need to. I'm becoming a, an animal. I'm a monster. Maybe this will help me be normal. Yeah, maybe this will like whip me into shape. But no. Um, so it was very short lived. Um, he was generally discharged less than a year after enlisting. Um, and so his records list unspecified grounds for his discharge, but it's rumored that supervisors learned about his previous confessions to the police about the murders that he committed, and they didn't want to deal with any similar matter in the future. Hmm. But again, that's just a rumor. There's no there's no actually paperwork or paper trail documenting that. That's... Um, that would be scary if that was true. Yeah. That, like, they took it seriously, but still no repercussions came of it. To right? Murder. Like, oh, he could have murdered, like, three people. We don't want to deal with that. Like, just get him out of here. That might fall back on, on us. Go murder more people. Bye. Yeah. So 
He's discharged in March of 72. Um, and once he gets discharged, he really struggles with like depression. Um, and he goes through these really hard bouts. So he actually commits himself to the VA um, Medical Center in July of 1972. And now he's in Lexington, Kentucky. So um, for that initial stay, he stays until August 25th. So July, like a month, oh, a little over a month, maybe not quite. Um, but then after he gets out in August, he was admitted a few short weeks after because he attempted suicide. So he goes back. And then um, because of his suicide attempt, they take it a little more serious, I guess, in the, the psych ward or wherever he goes because he was actually placed in restraints um, and he got 21 electroshock therapy treatments. Uh, I think that's been proven to not work, right? Yeah, I don't think it's very effective. Um, Depression is very real and I feel for him on that front. Yeah, for sure. It's, in the 70s, man, come on, do better. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, after that, so that's in a few short weeks after August. So he goes back, he does those treatments. And then now we're at October 17th, 1972. So he's released again, um, at this point. And then I guess maybe the electroshock therapy did some good for him, or maybe he just had an epiphany, or maybe he just, maybe it was all a facade. I don't know. Because he goes back to being a nurse aide at another hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. Maybe and it was like, when I was killing other people, I didn't want to kill myself. I better start doing that again. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It makes sense. Um, so he's back being a nurse's aide. And in June of 1973, he got another part-time job. So he has two part-time jobs as nurse aides at two different hospitals. Um so he keeps these two jobs through the next year, through August of 1974. Um, and then he gets a job at St. Luke's Hospital, but this is more of like a clerical position. So I don't know how much murder or lack thereof went on between this time because there wasn't really anything. So I think he was more in a more supervised position where he didn't have the ability or the access to things to get yeah. away with it. Yeah, because before he was like night shift, like in these dimly lit rooms. Elderly patients around. and he knew their stats. He knew if it would be suspicious or not. Yeah. So um, he bounced around and then he gets that like clerical job. And this spree, his killing spree seemed to come to a halt. Um, and then I noted he didn't have access to his patients. So um, that wasn't really working out for him because... He still missed the killing. He wanted to do that. That's what he enjoyed. That just gave him joy because he's a sick individual and that's just what feeds him. Why work at a hospital if you can't kill people? Right. Ah. <laughs> so um, he definitely wanted to return to his dimly lit patient rooms where he had the quote unquote power over people. Um so in September 1975, he moves back to Ohio and he got a night shift job at the VA Med Hospital. And that's like 10 times, not 10 times worse, but Taking that's just like, of vets? yeah, that's just like a kick in the pants. Yeah. Uh, 
specifically everyone he deals with is going to be a vet. Like, that's... That's... Diabolical. It's so gross. Yeah. Like, what piece of shit? He's, like, targeting a subset of vulnerable people. Yeah. He's a terrible human being. Yeah. um, Let's see. He's done many things. Nursing assistant, housekeeping, cardiac... I don't know what cardiac catheterization tech is. So I don't know what exactly that means, but, and he was the assistant. Probably just changing out the catheter on cardiac patients. Yeah. Because you have to keep them clean. I think you have to change out the pan so often and maybe switch out the tube every couple of days. Yeah. So that was part of his new duties at this new night shift that he was doing. And autopsy assistant. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Grim. because he doesn't he still doesn't have any like medical training yeah any medical training or like i I think to be an autopsy assistant you just have to have a thick skin yeah probably the person actually doing all the work is the medical person but you're like there to like help hold things move things take this piece of flesh and yeah whatever um and during that job he supposedly allegedly would steal like body parts and just like take them home for like not testing but like study weird sex thing oh gross <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what body parts or pieces he would take but it just said that he would take some home for study yeah um, so i don't really know what that could or could mean could not mean but yeah. i'm okay not knowing <laughs> especially if it's weird sex stuff (laughs) yeah um so i'm okay not knowing all the details on that so this guy's terrible yeah now that he gets this new gig he's ready to get back to business um so now he's got little supervision and unlimited access to basically all areas virtually of the hospital so like what is that saying the something is your oyster or whatever what's the saying do you know what i'm trying to say yeah maybe that's the saying that i'm trying to say but basically you know what i'm getting at yeah Uh, he had a whole new world of opportunities opened up to him is that what the saying is the world is my oyster maybe there's probably more to it that we don't know yeah but that's the gist that's all i need yeah (laughs) <laughs> to get the point across <laughs> it's all the world is my oyster let's all eat some clams oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry all right bring on the clam chowder <laughs> um so he really gets in with this job he's there for 10 plus years um so during this 10 years that he's employed here he murdered at least 15 patients and he kept a diary of all the methods used to kill them so whether it was sprinkling some arsenic in their food or whatever it was so and these people he knew they wouldn't be getting autopsies probably yeah probably so older super sick people yeah they were all probably basically dying anyways and so he would disconnect life support machines. He would inject air into veins. Um, he would suffocate people. He would inject arsenic, cyanide, um, petroleum-based cleaners. Oh, my like, God. 
all kinds of terrible things. Um, so 15 people over 10 years for sure? Yes, for sure. He kind um, of slowed down after his first year. Yeah. He's not doing three people a year. At least he <laughs> didn't kill more, I guess. Right. Um, and also at this time when he is at this new job, he decided that he's going to move in with his gay lover. Um, and he had a really weird sadistic thing going on there too, because he would poison his lover and then like nurse him back to health and like do this. But like he was trying to kill him, but he wouldn't. So I don't know. I I guess maybe he didn't want to kill him, but he just wanted to make it so that he didn't want to leave and like he had it all to himself and there was no threat. Hero complex type deal. So freaking, so freaking weird. So it really is that, just that God complex thing. Like I have control over whether you live or die and I love it. Yeah. That's totally what this guy was all about. Ugh, ugh. That yeah. was this creepy. Yeah. That was his jam. I don't like um, along with his gay lover that he would try to poison, um, he also tried to kill and poison like multiple other people, like his lover's parents, um, and then some of their neighbors. He would always he would just like put poison in their food or like he injected one lady with like um hepatitis A or something, but she they finally found it before it killed her so they could treat it. But what the fuck? Yeah, just like disgusting stuff. He would oh do this to, to these people. Um, so he ended up killing, I think, one of his lover's parents and then like one of their friends or something. Oh my god, that uh, poor guy. Yeah. But I, I I don't think he really had any idea. Like it was him, obviously, you know? Yeah, but probably did later. Yeah, probably. So, yeah. Um, so that's in like the 80s, the early 80s. So then later, years later, in July 1985, security guards at Donald Harvey's work thought like one day he looks extra suspicious. So they're, he's carrying this gym bag and he's just like looking real suspicious. So they're like, all right, we're going to need to search your bag. Well, and, they've probably been feeling weird about him for a while, if that well, happened. And that was just like, okay, well, now we have something substantial. We this can... is too much. Let's, let's see what's in there. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, July 1985, the security guards are like, all right, bro, you're, you're looking a little suspicious. You've got that weirdo gym bag. Like, we're going to have to search your bag. So they search his bag. They find a 38 caliber gun. They find needles, surgical scissors, gloves, a cocaine spoon, um, medical textbooks, and also a biography of a serial killer. What? Yeah. Um, That's a very confused list of things. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he had a lot of weirdo stuff in there. I wonder if he just wanted to keep a gun on him in case he got caught so he could just like hurry and kill himself. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's... And then the medical books to see different ways he could kill people, probably, without it being suspicious. Yeah, probably. The textbooks and then... Um, of a serial killer and cocaine to keep him going. Right. Cocaine to keep him motivated. Oh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. 
So even despite finding all that weirdo oh, stuff, God. so he was fined for carrying a firearm on federal property, but it was like nothing, like next to nothing. I don't even remember the dollar amount. That Not even a slap like. on the wrist. It's just like, okay, pay us a fine and you're good. Yeah, basically. So like nothing, but they were also like, they gave him the proposition like, hey, you can resign quietly or we can fire you. So take your pick. So they just give him this fine and he resigns, but no investigation, nothing further. Just that's it. So, cool. yeah. And that's a weird thing with these medical ones too, because a lot of times they get in trouble and they get fired, but like they don't want to press charges because it would be bad PR for their hospital or something. So then they just get hired on somewhere else and kill more people. Yeah, exactly. That's because for this guy, there was nothing about this incident that was ever noted in his work or like history. It's like he so, should have been caught so much sooner. Yeah, because these people thought that he, like there was no, there was nothing. Ugh. Like they had no reason to, to be like, all right, uh, nah, this guy's not so great. Maybe we should watch him. Maybe we should look into his history and his patients and how many of them died when we didn't think they were going to die. Yeah, no hmm. kidding. So no investigation. Um, moving right along. February of 1986. So seven months later, um, he gets work at another hospital. And he started as a part-time um, nurse's aide, but he quickly moves into like a full-time role. And then he can jump back into his old routine. So there was no bad employment record so this new place was just like oh cool you're great yeah here we go this is fine great we don't you know. have so much experience why did you leave your last job we got lucky yeah no kidding so just nothing um so now again over another 13 months he kills 23 more patients oh he escalated yeah 23 more would be murdered in 13 months yeah he went from 15 in 10 years to 23 in 13 months? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. He definitely uh, got to business. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely escalated very quickly. Um, But there was a death of one of the patients in April of 1987. So this patient was John Powell. Um, I guess he was comatose for a while, but he was starting to recover. But then he ended up passing away, obviously, because Mr. Donald Harvey made that happen. But this guy actually did have an autopsy. And so during this autopsy, the assistant um, noticed a scent of almonds. So the telltale sign of cyanide. So, um, for that assistance, yeah. So they, but they couldn't find any more evidence or motive, um, to to like blame his this patient's friends or family. So then they obviously decided to focus on employees because they're like, well, no one in his friends or family wants to kill him, so they didn't poison him. Yeah, and if he'd been in a comatose for a while, he probably didn't have many friends and family visiting him. Right, probably not. And that was probably easy to narrow it down. Like, no one's come to see him in a month besides his mom, and she wouldn't have poisoned him. Right. So then they're like, all right, well, we're narrowing down this list to the workers who had access to his room. Good. Finally. Yeah. 
finally. So this list was pretty short and Donald Harvey was on it. And they, I think this was a self-professed nickname, um, the Angel of Death. I don't know if that was like kind of talk of the town because people obviously did realize that all these patients that this guy like comes in contact with, they do die pretty, pretty quickly, you know, after they come in contact with him. So like, I don't know if there was any, obviously there wasn't enough put together because no one looked into it. Yeah. I'd hope if like was a known thing, people would look into it. Yeah. Or, or they wouldn't just like joke about it. Like, Hopefully that was his nickname after the fact. Yeah, probably. Um, so then they, the investigators are finally focusing their entire investigation on him. So after they get a search warrant for his apartment, um, the investigators found like a ton of evidence against him mm-hmm. in his apartment. They found more jars of cyanide, arsenic, um, books, poisons, um, detailed accounts of his murders that he had his little diary about. So they found all of that. So after they find all this stuff, he gets arrested on one count of aggravated murder. But he wants to file a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Like, so, you've been murdering people for 17 years? Yeah, a long like time. 37 people or something? You... Yeah. Should have come forward as insane much sooner. Right. So, um, but Harvey eventually came to his senses and was like, well, it's pretty much only a matter of time before they do discover the full extent of my shenanigans. So I need to probably make a plea deal so I can avoid the death penalty in Ohio. Yeah, that's probably smart of him. So um, on August 11th, 1987, He's 35 at this point. Um, He sat down with investigators and he commenced to committing 33 murders over the past 17 years. Um, But over the course of like this investigation and questioning, the number grew to 70 in all. But maybe he was trying to toot his own horn more so. So investigators are like, I don't know about 70, but... But who knows? Because there was that gap where he just didn't kill anybody. So maybe... So who knows? Like, there's really no exact number because they don't know for sure. But they send him through the psychiatric tests by multiple different professionals and he's definitely sane. Like, they... They're like, no, he's competent, but he's a compulsive killer. Like, he knew what he was doing was wrong. He just couldn't stop himself. Yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. So in August of 1987, on the 18th, he pled guilty to 24 counts of aggravated murder, four counts of attempted murder, and one count of felonious assault. And then four days later, he got a 25th guilty plea. So that earned him four consecutive 20 years to life sentences. And then he also, with the intent of them never getting any money, he was fined $270,000. But that was just like so a kick in, because they obviously knew they were never going to get money from him. Well, but, probably so he couldn't try and sell his story. Yeah, but they're just like, you know, we're going to throw this in here too. Good. So, Fuck that guy, Jesus. Yeah. So 
Then in September of 1987, he was indicted in Kentucky where he confessed to the 12 murders while employed at the Marymount Hospital, his first job. And then um, he got eight life terms plus 20 years. So he's just racking it up. Yeah. Um, racking 35, it up. Right? He was arrested at 35. Yeah. And he started when he was 18. That's insane. Yeah, yeah that's crazy, right? Oh, my God. And so this is the quote that I wanted to read. So it's not all a quote, but it says, why did you kill? Because they're like investigating. And then he goes, well, people controlled me for 18 years. And then I controlled my own destiny. I controlled other people's lives, whether they lived or died. I had the power to control you. What right did you have to decide that? They ask. And then he goes, after I didn't get caught for the first 15, I thought it was my right. I appointed myself judge, prosecutor, and jury. So I played God. Like, how sick. Yeah, he had a severe God complex. That's insane. That's so scary. Yeah. So he was definitely one of the United States' most prolific serial killers. Yikes. Yeah. So his first scheduled parole hearing is set for 2047, and he will be 95 years old. Is he still alive now? Um, as far as I could tell, I think he is still alive. <laughs> yeah. So he was definitely a sick individual. And his number of victims um, was like 37 to 87 because who knows? Ugh, gross. <laughs> he really a- talked himself up. But like he was probably just like, oh, no, uh, I did all this. But he probably... Threw some made up ones in he there. He had to look better because he was a god. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. he's awful. Yeah, he was a terrible, terrible person. You want me to lighten it up a bit? Yeah, we could probably use a little freshening up. <laughs> okay, so this story right off the bat doesn't have a resolution that I could find, but it's just really interesting. So in March of 2019, Jason Fields in Hazard, Kentucky, filed a lawsuit against the Hampton Inn. He worked at the inn, and the manager, um, Sharon Linden, was his direct boss. So Sharon, or Jason worked directly under Sharon, and he mentioned to her at some point in time that he was going through a divorce. And it sucked, you know, it came up in conversation with his coworkers. But she told him the reason he was having marital problems was because he had demons. Oh. And that if he was going to work for her, he needed to be cleansed of his demons. Oh my gosh. So she told him that the cleansing was basically an exorcism and that she'd already had it done like three or four times. It was no big deal. He needed to have it done. Yeah, it's fine. I've done it like four times. So she gave him this packet of papers to fill out and return to her before the cleansing. For an exorcism? A cleansing that was basically an exorcism, yes. So the first page was instructions. Two pages were a, a release and an indemnity agreement. And then nine pages were questions that he had to answer. 
Wow, that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, for your boss to be handing you. Yeah, that's weird. I'd have been like, um, you don't need to know all these things about me. I don't think I have demons. If I do, I like them. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. See ya. Um, so she told him that once he completed this packet of paperwork, he'd have to come to her church for the cleansing to be um, done. And he was like, um, no thanks. I'm good. <laughs> nah, I'm good. I don't, I'm not worried about it. I think my marriage didn't work out because we grew apart and didn't work hard enough to fix it before it was too big of a problem. So I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And she was hissed. She did not want someone working for her that had demons in them. Oh my gosh. So she changed his shift. She changed his job duties. She denied his days off. She oh, some more retaliation at its finest. Yeah, and she threatened his job on a daily basis, basically telling him he was going to be fired every single day. So ultimately, he just quit his job because it wasn't even worth it working for this yeah, insane woman. And then he filed a lawsuit <laughs> because an employer should not ever ask their employees these questions or retaliate in this manner when they refuse yeah, to have an no. exorcism committed. <laughs> Not at all, unless you want a lawsuit. Yeah. So he filed this lawsuit with the state. And in the lawsuit, he provided the questions, a sampling of the questions that were in the packet. And he still had the packet. He was like, I will provide the packet to you. Yeah, I'll give you this full packet. You can have the whole nine yards. <laughs> so the questions in this packet included, are you ready for this? I don't know. I mean, yes, I'm ready. What is your church background? Um, no, you cannot, an employer cannot ask you that. Exactly, an employer cannot ask that. Semi-mild, but no, an employer cannot ask that. <laughs> Who is Jesus Christ to you? Oh my gosh, again, uh, no. Yeah, um, were you conceived out of wedlock? <laughs> what the shit? Have you, your parents or grandparents, been in any cults? Oh, God. <laughs> Have you ever made a pact with the devil? Yeah, well, I've got demons, so duh. <laughs> Have you ever had lust? <laughs> Have you ever had lustful thoughts? Oh, my God. Like, literally, who has not had lustful thoughts? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Do you frequently masturbate? Because that's okay for your employer to ask. <laughs> no. Gosh, is this like an induction to, like... Uh, recover from porn or something? It's her crazy church. I probably could have found the name of the church, but I didn't. You're welcome, crazy church. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> have you ever committed incest? Have your parents or grandparents ever committed incest or oh. rape? Whew. Uh, have you been involved in oral or anal sex? Oh my god. And they went on and on and on. Those are just the ones I wrote down, but there's more. Like nine pages more. That's ridiculous. Especially if they're all in that like fashion and nature. Oh yeah, which they totally are. Um, so he filed this lawsuit and provided the pamphlet of questions or whatever. But I searched and searched and I could not find an update. So I even found the case number because one of the articles I saw had like photocopies of the lawsuit that he filed. 
Yeah. But I searched that number and I couldn't find it. So I don't know. I feel like the Hampton Inn probably settled and fired her. Probably. I mean, if you don't fire someone that does that, like, you're, yeah. Unless you just think he's lying. Yeah. He filed it in March of 2019. So I feel like by now there would have been an update. I just don't think it was, I think it probably just settled. I can't find an answer. So if anybody knows the answer or is able to find it when I couldn't, please let us know. Because I would love to know how that was resolved. But. I just thought it was really entertaining. Yeah, that's the packet of questions. Here, new hire orientation. I'm going to need you to complete this packet. He won't let me exercise him. I better threaten his job on a daily basis. He has demons. I don't want him to work for me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, good old Kentucky. (laughs) That was quite the story. <laughs> uh, what generation is Forrest Gump um, a part of? Jenny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just saw that one the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you want to know more, we have links to all of our sources in our show notes. So please follow up with those and see what we got wrong. Uh, If you want to have any questions for us or talk to us or follow us, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gmail. Let us know. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 immediate update to the end of this episode because we started talking right after we finished yes so donald harvey is no longer alive he died actually in 2017 because he was severely beaten in his prison cell so he is no longer alive serving all of his death sentences he is dead as of 2017 and he was 64 years old, so he spent 29 years in prison. That's not nearly enough for all the killing he did. It was almost twice his age. Wow. Yeah, he killed a lot of people in a very short amount of time. Yeah, so many. So now you know, he's not going to be released ever. He wouldn't have been anyways, but he's dead. Yes. Okay, bye! Bye!